Are you incorporating superfoods into your daily AM and PM and even afternoon snack rituals? Well, Organifi makes it so incredibly easy. Use promo code BB for 20% off of your order of Organifi products. These are incredible non-GMO glyphosate residue free superfood products with added adaptogens. And I am obsessed with the Harmony Cacao Mix in my morning coffee and also the green juice in original as like a morning matcha their glow formula their red juice formula all of their formulas are just incredible i am blown away at how delicious they are you're gonna love them your family you're gonna love them you can even serve them as a fabulous summer mocktail on the rocks use promo code bb and save 20 percent off now at Organifi.com slash BB. You can also find that direct link on the beautyandthebiohacker.com favorites page. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome everyone. We have a very special guest today, Lucas Owen coming all the way from Australia. And so um, the, he is one of Australia's leading biohackers with over, over seven years of experience researching and experimenting with tropics and other performance enhancing compounds. And he is really extremely motivated to discover something big for science, send something hopefully that can benefit millions of people globally. So Lucas offers cutting edge health content ranging from nutrition research to hormone research and of course nootropics, which we'll be diving in a lot today. Um, and some of these, you know, like most of the planet have not even heard of, myself included. So, um, so Lucas thrives on really offering insanely valuable content on a global scale. And we'll be unpacking some of those nuggets in today's show of beauty and the biohacker. And of course, I am your co-host, the biohacking side of Beauty and the Biohacker. Um, I am Katie with, you know, I've got about three years of experience in just self-experimenting and a YouTube channel, all devoted to the latest biohacking gadgets and products that I really investigate and test on myself and then share that content with others. And my name is Rachel Varga. I'm the beauty side of eating the biohacker here as a board certified aesthetic nurse specialist with nearly 10 years in the industry and 20,000 procedures later. I just love talking about what works, what makes our skin look, look better, what helps us age better. And you can check out all things at that, you know, one-on-one -on -one consultations wherever you are in the world, rachelvarga.ca. But before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast here and get on our newsletter at beautyandthebiohacker.com so you know when we put out new episodes and, you know, special discounts and offerings and stuff like that. So I'm really excited about this interview here with you, Lucas. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped to talk about topics that I, I feel really passionate about and yeah, can't wait to spread some cool information. Yeah, and, and we are going to dive into everything from nootropics to performance and male health. And I will also say that uh, Lucas has a fantastic podcast of his own. So after you listen to this one, make sure you go and check out Boost Your Biology, um, where he goes into some of the weeds on many of the compounds that we're going to just kind of skim the surface on. So 
Before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, just give us a little bit of background about yourself. I know, you know, in speaking with you and, and you are a friend, like your dad was a pharmacist. And so you grew up in this kind of environment. You had done soccer, you know, growing up. So what really sparked your interest in, you know, it's kind of taking on years worth of research to to kind of understand what's what's going on in your brain? Yeah, well, um, I guess... Really, for me, it started out, um, yeah, playing professional soccer and then wanting to find ways to just improve my performance on the soccer field. Um, and then I, you know, came across certain supplements and experimented with them and noticed a difference when I was playing that it was having a, you know, positive impact on my performance on the soccer field. And then from there, I just fell in love with the concept of like um, utilizing supplements and utilizing other biohacks to um, basically just improve my well-being across other um, domains of my life. So that was like sleep. And then it was like, um, uh, you know, other aspects such as stress management and um, some other things like that. So I just sort of fell in love with um, being able to take control of your physiology. And then um, part of that has sort of led me to where I am today, where where I want to just share what I've learned along, along the way and, and provide such cutting edge uh, research. And so I'd love to kind of start to um, talk about some of what you offer in, um, you know, your professional life. And and you've got this amazing masterclass that uh, people can actually, you know, take with you and really start to understand all elements of nootropics. And you, you do have this really interesting term that you coined uh, cosmetic neurology. And let's talk about what that actually means. So does this mean that peptides can make us more beautiful? Because peptides have been used in medical grade skincare for a long time now to basically help with the cell signaling. When you put something on your skin, we want it to do things like stimulate collagen production or provide antioxidant protection. So what the heck does this mean? Because this fascinates me, cosmetic neurology. Yeah. So basically it's around the premise of being able to hijack or just take control of your um, neurotransmitters in the way that you perceive the world and think. So basically that's like, it's understanding what a compound does on paper and then applying that to your everyday life. Basically, it's like um, viewing the body as a computer with multiple systems and inputs and then, um, you know, manipulating that with scientific research and then experimenting and then basically just being able to perform at your peak under certain, like in the right uh, context, if that makes sense. So like it's, it's a very empowering sort of term and I hope people... I hope people like it because it's a really, I know for some people like that, that idea of being able to um, uh, sort of activate a certain way of uh, maybe communicating or a way of um, thinking or perceiving is really, that's really powerful. Like the, the, the best mm-hmm. example would be like a job interview. Like let's say somebody's going for a job interview and they want to be like socially confident, not inhibited, not feeling... Um, because, you know, you, you don't want to be feeling like you're overthinking when you're going into a job interview. So then that's where cosmetic neurology, understanding that and then applying it can really make a difference to someone's quality of life. 
when I was doing some research for our talk today, I actually looked at some of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And in the 90s, he put out a really good documentary called What the Bleep Do We Know? And what's really cool in that show is they kind of highlighted how peptides really work. So when we're in, say, for example, in a job interview or we're in a stressful situation, our body gets used to basically creating peptides to then elicit an emotional response. So if we can kind of adjust that so that if we know we're typically going to respond in this way, but we want to respond another way, we can kind of hack our neurology in that way. So the, the when I talk about like cosmetic dermatology and things like that, it's like how to not just make your 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 skin function well, but make it look good. So that's kind of the how I'm Am I understanding this correctly? It's like you have neurology, but you can put the cosmetic, which is like an additional way to kind of enhance it. And also um, just, you know, that since Rachel brought up peptides and we're going to be talking about everything, there's going to be a lot of, of phrases, out, you know, from peptides to nootropics to um, androgens and all of these different, you know, um, you know, adaptogens as well. Like, Maybe for listeners who aren't really familiar with some of these terms, maybe you can just kind of unpack the different main differences for people to understand what some of these compounds are. Okay, so well, let's sort of start with maybe the adaptogens, because um, I know many of your listeners will be familiar with them. Um, so basically that term describes any sort of compound um, that can help the body cope with either physiological or psychological stresses. Um, so that can be, for example, uh, a, a classic adaptogen would be like rhodiola, which um, has been, you know, very well evaluated to combat um, low oxygen environments to support like physical activity, physical endurance, things like that. But then it's also been shown to um, combat like mental fatigue and, and um, some other neurological issues. So that's the first term, like adaptogen. So that's basically uh, all-encompassing, basically combats, uh, helps the body combat uh, stress. And then we have uh, another term that you mentioned before, Katie, uh, peptides. Um, so this one will be a bit of a, like, I hope it doesn't scare people off too much because, you know, it sounds like it's doping and it's it's illegal and things like that. But really, our body makes hundreds of peptides um, and it's basically just a sequence of amino acids um, and amino acids are found in our in food that we eat so if people don't need to be scared of that 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 phrase um, peptides um, for example the most well-known uh, peptide would be uh, oxy oh, uh, oxytocin so there's um that's like the one of the most well-known ones um, but there's a this, the term sort of um, they can cross over each other like a hormone can be a peptide a peptide like they often uh, interchange, um, but overall, I think, and then 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 we've got nootropics, which we've spoken about before, um, and nootropics again is that broad category of something that's either natural or synthetic that can improve overall cognitive function. So that can be memory, focus, attention, concentration, um, anxiety, things like that. So what does NASA, so what does NASA do, with NASA this do with this stuff? Uh, uh, NASA, like the uh, yeah, astronauts. like yeah, they got like, everything, they everything that they do in space, space ends up coming so, 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 are you familiar, are you familiar with, anything? with anything? Yeah, um, that's, um, that's, I need. Uh, well, I need. yeah, there's um, 
actually they they did the Russian cosmonauts used to utilize um Fennybutt, which is used to combat like anxiety and things like that. And also there's other compounds like uh, bromantane, which I've spoken about in my course, um, where it basically, that's also, that's banned by water because it's so effective at improving physical endurance. Um, but a lot of these compounds just basically work around helping the body deal with stress. And like we've spoken about stress numerous times and I mean, look at the sort of life that we all live in. EMFs, you know, we've got like um, emotional stress, we've got physical stress, we've got pollution, things like that. That's where I think these compounds can really come in and just help someone get back up to where they should be. Like that's where they should be, but they've just been bombarded. They've just been smashed and their baselines dropped so far down. Yeah, and you know, when you mentioned space, it made me think of kind of like, you know, certain professions like pilots, for instance, um, and I would even say shift workers, people who work very strange schedules could probably benefit a lot from some of the, you know, effects like, you know, mild stimulating or, or, you know, wakefulness. I know there, we'll, we'll get into some more of the classified compounds, you know, modafinil and stuff like that in just a moment. But you know, um, what's been kind of your take, Lucas, on on who like really does well with nootropics? Um, you know, is it students? Is it people in, in shift work? Or, you know, I mean, I'm sure you could argue everybody. High but, functioning entrepreneurs. Yeah. But what is the like the, the main demographic we're talking about here? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, Rachel hit it on the on the head. That's um, like high high pressure um, jobs or entrepreneurs that have like, you know, they're working long hours and they need to be mentally sharp, um, limited sleep, or maybe they're running by on like six to seven hours of sleep a night. Um, yeah. Any sort of uh, condition where um, they are required to be highly focused, um, you know, maintaining attention span for a, a long period of time, um, have good memory recall, uh, those sort of uh, conditions are, you know, best suited to, um, you know, taking advantage of nootropics. Definitely, yeah. I used to play a video game called StarCraft, and yes, I did grow up being a gamer, Counter Strike, all that stuff. You name it. So in StarCraft, I'd be the, you know, the whatever you call it. I'd be Terran, and they had their army dudes, and you could select, you know, use Stimpak. And that's probably what that was, like these dudes in the suits in the video games. And then if, you know, you're in battle, they'd use their stim back. And this stuff was kind of like starting to enter the mainstream thought process a long time ago. So I have a feeling it was certainly used for military and space applications. And that, that was a long time ago. That was in like the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Sorry, just nerd moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny you bring that up because actually... Um... Yeah, the the Russian military soldiers did did utilize some of the um, psycho stimulants because they did help combat. You know, they they did help with that alertness, attention, the arousal, the vigor, um, and you can sort of translate that. Not only is it applicable to like military soldiers, but basically think about athletes, like fighters and things like that. Like they need to be charged. Their arousal actually needs to be over the top. Or like under certain conditions, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I actually, when I first got into nootropics, I was really excited to actually, I was so specific about where I wanted to 
like plant my feet. And that was specifically to work with athletes to improve their sports performance with nootropics. I decided that like five years ago, it was very niche. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, I really find that an untapped area that no one's really exploring. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because there, you know, can be some controversy around some of these, you know, compounds? I know phenylparacetam, for instance, is currently banned um, for use in athletic, um, you know, competitions. So, how difficult is that to navigate? Yeah, it's a it's a question that gets asked quite a lot, particularly with a lot of the um, clients that I've worked with. Is like, oh, can I use this product? Is it, is it safe? Like, is it not, you know, is it banned by water? Um, so fortunately, there's definitely a, there's definitely a wide um, variety of compounds that can be used that are not banned. Um, there's a lot, like there's actually a lot. There's, there's hundreds. Um, there's only a select few that are banned, um, but there are still many that can make a very, very significant impact on their performance without compromising their um, uh, professional status. Yeah. Now, the ones that are banned is that like, you know, in some ways I'm thinking, well, those are probably the ones that work the best. So, you know, is there some kind of like give and take there where you're like, okay, well, if it's banned, it's banned for a reason. So maybe if I'm not involved in that sport, I should be buying that because it's clearly like it's going to work, right? <laughs> that, that's the exact mindset that majority of like the athletes that are not in that high, like super elite status, they're the ones that really just like, they're the ones that want to abuse those compounds. Yeah, my hubby's a pro athlete. And with one of his competitions, you know, we're, we're looking at the fight and his opponent was a total beast in the ring uh, in kickboxing. And we were definitely speculating because the guy had a extremely rough weight cut. He dropped a lot of weight and he was just a beast in the ring. So ever since that that fight, we're like, oh, we kind of wonder if he was doing that. But again, it would, it would be a compound that if they tested, which unfortunately they don't really. So I have a feeling a lot of high-level um, fighters that are working for organizations that don't really do a lot of rigorous testing for compounds, you know, they're doing yeah, it. They're doing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, the way I first got into nootropics, and this is so cliche, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. I was obsessed with the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. I think when I saw that movie, I said to myself, oh my God, does this thing exist? And this thing I'm talking about, the NZT, like, you know, fake nootropic compound that they devised where you could literally unlock and access all parts of your brain of all time. And it just looked so amazing. So Lucas, did this film have an impact, you know, on your initial interest with nootropics or were you already like deep into the weeds with it by the time it came out? Yeah, I think it, I think it definitely amplified my interest. I, I was probably dabbling with a few compounds before that movie, but it's funny if you actually go back and have a look at the Google analytics and, you know, the search terms, the, the term nootropic was like, it just grew exponentially after the movie Limitless. And that was like really what I think put them on the map. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, like yeah, that, that whole concept of, um, you know, finding the NZT uh, pill, well, like there are things that have come close to like feeling like you're in God mode. I've, I've like I've created certain stacks that have literally put me into states of like hyper confident, like super like 
just very mentally sharp, very just um, like no anxiety. You just feel like you, you can dominate any sort of scenario. Um, That's so cool. It's probably blocking emotions and peptides related to fear and self-doubt because that's its own cascade. So that's great. If you can kind of like block those trans channels for neurotransmitters and, and peptides and just like have like, whoo, just, you know, full steam ahead. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's uh, actually this morning I was messaging um, Ben Greenfield and I sent him I sent him an article literally on that topic. Um, it's called fit. It's called um, decycloserine, which like it it uh, initiates fear extinction. Um, so it's like literally blocking that fear. Because think about it, like some people, let's say they've had a traumatic experience going to like their job or whatever, and every time they think about their job, they're gonna just their body is gonna start to um, elicit all the symptoms of being in fear or stress mode. So if we can block that response then go to work when we're not in fear mode, then we can perform better. So I love that concept of um, hacking fear extinction. This comes down to neural pathways. It's like when you are programmed to feel a certain way in a certain situation, that's how you're going to feel that. So if you maybe, for example, use nootropics to block that, and then you create a whole new set of neural pathways, then you could potentially overcome that previous state through nootropics and then be able to have developed so many connections in your brain to then respond in the ideal way. Just, I want to quickly touch on um, one of the, I mentioned oxytocin before. There's a really funny or fascinating study that shows that oxytocin can improve mind reading in in humans. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rachel just like lost. I need her. this. I mean, let's heighten my ESP right now. Give it to me. <laughs> or wait, maybe I'll just learn to cultivate it myself. So I already, I already knew you were going to ask that question before because I was I, I read your mind. Oh, <laughs> he just totally like you know. Oh snap! He mind tricked you. That's amazing. Yeah. What color no, am I, I mean, thinking? Just kidding. I'm not gonna put you on spot. <laughs> So, so Lucas, you raise a great point. There's so many of these like fantastic nootropics that can do all these amazing things, right? You know, block fear, increase ESP, you know, help your cognition. But like, what are the downsides? Are, do you end up taking a, you know, um, a loss on your next day because you decided to cash in on that one day of, of God mode, for instance? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is this comes back to like um, compounds that are sustainable. So like for example, things like modafinil or um, very hardcore stimulants. I just don't see them as like truly sustainable nootropics because they end up borrowing from the future and then they leave you feeling depleted the next day. That's not. I don't like any nootropic that does that because I don't want to feel crappy the next day. I want to feel if I took something, I want to f- go back to just normal the next day. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely consequences and you see guys that have abused and like people that have abused compounds and then they run into issues because now they've either downregulated a certain pathway and, and they're struggling to just get back to, back to normal. And that's, again, I'll, I cover a lot of that. I, I want to talk and promote um, strategies to offset and counteract that um, because that's where having an understanding on, on like various pathways in the brain and, um, these certain nootropics can really come in handy so that maybe you can use something to get you really high above baseline, take something next day to bring you back sort of thing. So it's 
Yeah, it, it can be a risky game to play if you're not careful. That's for sure. When we're looking at making, you know, peptides or enzymes in the body, we have a chemical reaction. You got a couple of reactants and then you have your product. And then what that does is it can create a feedback loop, right? So say, for example, you take too many reactants over here to make enzymes here down the line. It, it is going to have a side effect. So anytime you take something, there is a side effect because you're, you're taking cofactors and, and reactants and, and things like that. So it is definitely something I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about. There is one compound. Um, well, a, um, you've probably heard of pregnenolone. The, it's like the um, precursor hormone. Funnily, oh, that was probably one, one of my worst experiments. Uh, I'll probably never do that again. Um, that actually is uh, is is different because it, you know, most hormones have a negative feedback. Like once you take it, the body shuts down. This is the opposite. Once you take it, the body makes more of it, um, which is really bizarre. Um, but yeah, that that <laughs> that pregnenolone experience actually. It definitely induced a state of like depersonalization for like a week and it took me a while to like get back to back to normal. Now, this kind of ties into your slap back phenomenon that you talk about on the masterclass, which actually was the first time I've ever heard somebody talking about taking nootropics to actually feel worse in order to feel better. And I would love for you to unpack that a bit because I'm still confused. <laughs> I just always want to feel 100%, but I, I sort of understand where you're coming from. Is it to create contrast? Well, what it does is it's like the complete opposite of like euphoria. So like you're literally inducing or creating a state of, and when I say you feel bad, I don't make, I don't mean you're like feeling just bedridden or like, it just means that your uh, pleasure system is blunted for a temporary period of time to then eventually get a heightened response to that, like in the days following. So that snapback phenomenon is something that I've really tried to coin. And that's like around the premise of pushing yourself below baseline. Let's say it's a Sunday evening and, or let's say like it's Friday, you don't have anything planned for the weekend and you're, it's okay. All you want to do is work. Um, you're not going to be social. You're not going to do anything really fun. Then maybe like that's where, and I've done this numerous times where I've, trialed certain compounds that I know are going to push me down. But then the rebound effect is like, it's so, it feels like it's more powerful than just taking like something that just brings you up. Like maybe it is that contrast. Maybe it is because like that, when you come back up, it's maybe it's the fact that it's relative to how shitty you are feeling. So it just feels a lot better. Um, but it's a really fun sort of concept. Is that how you would recommend some people who say have overdone it with nootropics in the past and are just trying to get back to their baseline or, you know, fix certain um, depletions? Is that a good option? And like, what would be an example? Is, is it anything you can actually buy or do you have to get it, you know, through like a provider? Yeah, yeah. So one one good example is um, a, a homotaurine. I know it's a weird name, but... um. Uh, homotaurine, but basically what that does, is it blocks the GABA B receptors, like a receptor in the brain that's like um, regulates mood and, and reward and stuff. When you're blocking that receptor, it's going to be, it's not going to feel good. Like you don't feel good when you block that receptor. It, it causes, well, when I ran my experiments, it literally causes like a bit of nausea, a bit of appetite loss, um, 
generally a bit more antisocial. You don't really want to talk to people. Um, but then the following day, like 24 hours later, um, that's when you get that resurge upregulation of that GABA B receptor to then feel better than you did previously. So it's like a, it's a really um, fascinating concept. And I'm always on the lookout for other compounds that can do this. Um, you'd be familiar, Rachel, with um, low-dose naltrexone. Have you heard of that? Uh, Jogway memory. It's, um, well, Dr. McCullough has spoken about it. It's like an autoimmune protocol. Um, it, it, it's used for like autoimmune diseases. Um, it's an opioid blocker. It's basically used to treat heroin overdose. Um, and that is a compound that can, um, sort of block those endorphins acutely. So that doesn't feel good, obviously, but then the long-term and there's thousands of, if you go on YouTube and type in low-dose naltrexone, um, you'll see thousands of people reporting like amazing long-term improvements in mood and sleep and things like that. So it's pretty cool. That kind of reminds me of the same mechanism of action or maybe something similar to what Kratom, you've heard of the Kratom leaf, right? And what that's supposed to do, because I think it, it, you know, they've used it for people who do have opioid addictions. And so it basically is kind of almost mimicking that same pathway, but you're taking a very small natural, you know, um, leaf that's turned into a tea. I've tried it myself. Um, there's different types of Kratom. So some are more stimulating, some are more kind of like a body um, relaxation. So I imagine that's something that, you know, um, you know, you're looking into as well, that and even covalactones, you know, as some natural alternatives um, to, to some more, you know, recreational style drugs. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm always, I'm always on the lookout for new compounds, always. If there's one thing I've learned in my experience in rejuvenation, it's you kind of don't always want to be the guinea pig or turn your clients into guinea pigs. So I do personally, clinically have a bit of a seven, eight year rule. And I don't do that to like not be forward thinking. But what I do is I let other clinicians kind of like figure out the kinks so that when I'm about to offer something to my clients, for example, the cannula needlework for applying hyaluronic acid dermal fillers, it takes a couple of years for the protocols and the way that things are implemented to kind of be honed in. So I definitely look forward to, um, you know, seeing a little bit more information on this in the future and like, you know, uh, different, uh, different protocols. Yeah, it's um, definitely an exciting space to keep a lookout for. I'm definitely a guinea pig. I will take anything as long as Lucas says it's okay. Um, after watching your masterclass, I was like, add to cart, add to cart. Add. So I am just like always looking to feel better, you know, optimize my health. And I, I mean, I got into racetams the second I heard Dave Asprey talking about it. And this goes back a couple of years ago. So I have like no holds, you know, I don't hold back when it comes to just experimenting, but I, I agree. Like, I think the most important thing, and you know, to Rachel's point is you really want to make sure that other people have tested it and that you're not just going and like sourcing this yourself. And so like, Lucas, you have, you know, eight probably plus more years of experience testing these things on yourself. So there's a vote of confidence that you can have when you like talk to somebody and you know, like, okay, this might've worked for them. So I'm going to give it a try. Um, but, uh, but we, you mentioned oxytocin before and I, 
I love to talk about this with you because I actually just ordered C-Max, which you've probably heard of, which is a spray, a nasal spray, um, because you got me onto science.bio and I just was like, add to cart. <laughs> and so it, basically what it does is, it, well, I'm going to let you explain what oxytocin does, but, um, but this spray has been pretty effective and it's, you know, it's quick. It has a very short half-life, but, um, but maybe you can break down why somebody would want to have a proper amount of oxytocin. And then let's also talk about the side of the dark side of having plastics in your, um, household. Sure. Yeah. So when we, um, so let's sort of break down oxytocin from its basic, like physiological function. So when the best way to understand this hormone is obviously the bonding. And as soon as you fall in love sort of hormone that that's released, um, if you're snuggling up with your partner or your, your, I, th I think Katie and I have a little bit of an oxytocin. Um, that was actually you know. the original name of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like, yeah, that's part of its physiological function. If you have a look at like, if you take a step back and have a look at what makes people happy, um, what's like the number one thing is like a feeling, a sense of community, right? Like it's all feeling like part of a, a tribe or, um, social connection. And that's the one thing that I think are, like a lot of people are missing, right? A lot of people are missing that social connection and, and therefore their oxytocin release and their production is probably less than what it should be, or it's not at, at its peak production. And so what that will lead to is um, addictive tendencies. So like low ox oxytocin has been used to treat addiction, nicotine addiction, like other type alcoholism, things like that. Um, so oxytocin does play a pivotal role in, in modulating like um, libido, like um, just general mood and connection, things like that. Um, and there are, like, like you said, uh, Katie, there are compounds that can work on <clears throat> increasing oxytocin and um, supporting its production. If you can't get it naturally through like a proper connection, then you can sort of like supplement and make up for or, or if you're wanting to strengthen the connection with your partner or um you know just generally want to feel more empathetic so when we look at we'll take a step back and we'll have a look at some of the negatives of too much like too much oxytocin um so that can lead to highly emotional like just very very empathetic and so that can be that can be problematic particularly for um practitioners and things like that who you know, consulting clients and then they're taking on board all of their pain and suffering and then they can't actually release it themselves because they're feeling so damn attached to their clients. Um, that's That that can be an issue. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's actually any way that we can measure uh, our blood levels of oxytocin. It's just not going to be accurate. Um, but it's definitely a hormone that people, you know, um, yeah, should like be become more familiar with, I guess. Especially nowadays, right? I mean, given the environment, right? And I think that Rachel and I were probably just ESPing there, um, right? It's it, you know, if you do, if you live alone, like, is this something to supplement? Or can you meditate your way there? So just playing a devil's advocate here, can we, you know, for example, I did three hours of meditation the other night and I was just thinking about good things, loving thoughts, exciting, happy, loving experiences. So I'm sure that I was, you know, getting a bit of 
oxytocin release that way instead of supplementing it. So what's your thoughts on meditating and really focusing on, say, the word, the feeling, the frequency of love? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's um, like technologies and like sort of um, audio. There's definitely um, uh, frequencies that we can um, listen to that can. There's no research on this, but I'm confident that they would, you know, I swear by 432 hertz. That's like one of my favorite binaural beats, 432 hertz. It's funny, I was listening to a track that's on 432 hertz and then YouTube kicked over to something else and I was just like agitated and it's like, no, I just want to go back to that one. And I literally did that hour session three times in a row. It was really interesting. But each time YouTube went over to another one, I felt completely different. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um like, it's funny... Katie, you mentioned before about like how plastic um, can impact, you know, oxytocin. That was a, I did a YouTube video on that where I basically explained how um, BPA can, because it, it, it crosses the um, placenta and can impact um, the fetus, that can induce, and this is crazy, it can impact oxytocin release for like three generations down. So like if the mother had, yeah, I know. So like it's it's having such a dramatic effect on um, oxytocin production for the for the child. Um, but uh, like that's just one of the one of the you know harmful effects of BPA. But there's going to be other like I'm just focusing on oxytocin, but BPA is going to affect uh, other hormones. It's going to affect like the brain development, bone and mineral density, and things like that. So um, yeah, it's it's something to keep look out for. What you mentioned there is actually when we expose ourselves to certain peptides, right, getting our body to say make certain proteins or we ingest certain proteins, it can actually have an impact on our DNA, not just our epigenetics, which is the expression of our DNA. So what you said actually just also helped to support that, that there can be noticeable effects multiple generations down the line. So we really have to be careful what we expose ourselves to, especially right now, and even just, you know, proteins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So speaking of testing, I would love for you to kind of unpack what is there out there right now for us to actually know the levels of our neurotransmitters, because I don't certainly know of any tests that would be at home or easy to you know run that could let us know what our dopamine and serotonin levels are. Is there you know anything in the works that you think would be something that would be effective for us to be able to gauge this kind of stuff? Yeah, and this is um, definitely something I'm keeping a lookout for. Um, but all we have right now really is like um, the organic organic acids test, which does like metabolites of neurotransmitters. Um, yes, that gives us like a decent snapshot at where someone's at. But what really matters is whereabouts in the brain these neurotransmitters are and also how strongly they're binding to their receptors. Like you could be producing a lot of um, like dopamine, but if your dopamine D2 receptors are down-regulated, you're going to feel as if you have low dopamine. So like that's why measuring these, unless you want to like cut open your brain and send a sample to the lab, like I don't think it's ever going to be super uh, accurate, unfortunately. Oh, that that's so unfortunate because like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of using urine 
sticks, but you're really then just kind of seeing what was in your urine, your, you know, and what you've excreted, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're in excess or deficient. It's really hard to gauge. So I guess at this point, it's pretty much anecdotal, right? Like how you feel is more indicative. Yeah. And I think, um, like that's what I always emphasize. This is like building up that self-awareness before you take these compounds, you need to have, yeah, like meditate, like understand where you're at. Um, because certain compounds can definitely make you better in one domain, but then make you really shit in another domain. For example, like you said before, Rachel about like, um, when I felt like hyper-confident, hyper-focused, whatever. But then the trade-off was that I lost the emotional um, the emotional depth. So like I, I become, become more robotic, but I actually didn't get to feel majority of... Like that's why it's a really... Yeah, I'm trying to... I'm still manipulating those pathways now. I'm just trying to come back to like a nice even keel. But we, yeah, when you push something in one direction you are going to be offsetting another domain. Like it's just inevitable. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So, you know, when we're thinking about taking some of these supplements, you do have to be really aware of that. And say, for example, you have an underlying autoimmune condition or, you know, psychological psychiatric conditions, I would maybe put some warnings out there for those individuals. Obviously, this isn't medical advice. You need to seek the guidance of a licensed physician if you think you have a medical condition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Lucas, I am dying to know your thoughts on some more of the, I don't even know if I'd call them underground, but more kind of fringe and a little bit more controversial, shall we say, nootropics. So uh, by this, I am talking about modafinil and of course, uh, the precursor, I believe, to modafinil, which is uh, adrafinil. Um, so what what's going on with these two compounds? And, you know, have you experienced, have you used them? And what's been your experience? And who, who would this work for? I mean, if you technically can get a prescription for modafinil, but otherwise it's, you know, illegal in the United States without one. Yeah. So uh, with, with modafinil, um, the drug was originally developed to treat narcolepsy. So people that fall asleep like multiple times throughout the day. And it's very effective at that. Like it's very effective at keeping someone awake and alert. Um, but at the same time, as I just mentioned previously, like it is very powerful in that domain um, in that it has a very long half-life and it can really disrupt sleep. Even if somebody takes it at say like, um, 10 or 11 a.m. It's still going to impair um, their sleep quality. And then what happens over time is that because they've started using it day in, day out, like without taking a break, first of all, they build, um, it becomes very habitual. So then it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's addictive, but it becomes very habitual. Um, and then when they withdraw from the drug, because they've suffered from such crappy sleep, um, continuously, then eventually on day seven, they're actually functioning. If they remove the drug, then they're functioning as if they've lost a full night of sleep because <clears throat> it's all just accumulating. So like that's where I think um, modafinil is good and it has its time and place. For example, if you have to do a shift, like if you're working shift work or whatever, um, and you need to be absolutely focused for like 12 to 16 hours, 
then by all means, like maybe, yeah, modafinil is your drug of choice, is your nootropic of choice. Um, but I, I definitely think there are much more sustainable nootropics that, again, like I cover a lot of those underground ones in my masterclass where I look at some of the alternatives and things like that. Um, so, and the adrafinil is uh, just like a pro drug of, of modafinil and just gets metabolized um, a little bit differently and just... I think it's a little bit cheaper than modafinil as well. Well, it's also legal. Like why is modafinil, you know, not, you're not allowed to buy it in the United States online, but you can buy a drafinil. I'm just kind of confused. Like what is the difference in the mechanism of action? If you can speak to that. Uh, it's based around um, just how the liver metabolizes the drug. Um, so I think from memory, I have to probably polish. I don't, haven't spent much time researching these two compounds recently, but I think it's just um, the way the liver metabolizes um, the drug and it turns into like a pro drug of modafinil. So um, yeah, basically it's just around. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I just was kind of curious because I've heard, I've seen on forums, people talking about it, but I, you know, was always wondering what that gray zone was. If it is the pro drug, like, and it's doing the same thing, then, you know, why, you know, why ban one and not the other? Um, but, you know, who knows? And and maybe I, you know, by the time you're listening to this podcast four years in the future, maybe a drafinol is no longer on the U.S. market. But, you know, I think that that just kind of will remain to be seen in time. Yeah, yeah. I, I will be I will be posting some like fancy research on modafinil because I've got my like I've I've pinpointed some really cool studies. So I'll be sharing a lot of that. If your listeners want to learn more about modafinil, I'll be posting a lot of that like on my YouTube so they can learn more about what it does and how it works and stuff. Yeah. That's great. All right, let's move on to the next question. Let's talk about what are racetams? Why should we supplement with choline while we're taking this? Okay, so the um <clears throat> The racetams are like the, the the classic nootropics, and this is Katie will probably it, it, that's where you heard about Dave Asprey talk about it, right? Like back in the day. Yeah, I've literally experimented with every single one of them. <laughs> of course, you have. <laughs> I was like, "Does Dave take this?" Okay, sure, why not? <laughs> when I see him, he's like spraying stuff in his mouth. He's taking all mm-hmm. sorts of things all the time. I know, he, but he's, he's like a the- well-greased machine. He knows. He knows exactly yeah. what his body needs. When he's in an environment where, say, there's, you know, some mold or some environmental stuff, like, he responds really quickly. He's uh, pretty – it's pretty cool to, uh, like, see him do that. And he'll, like, he'll kind of notice things. Okay, maybe I'll take some of this right now to counteract this. And, yeah, it's I, – I wish I could, like, be in his head, like, a little fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah. With the, um, with the racetams, obviously, there's, like, a full suite you know, you've got paracetam, oxyracetam, phenylparacetam, prami, ani, like there's so many different types. Um, and they all have very um, unique, like very subtle differences, um, but they are very well researched in rat studies. And there's a few, I mean, there's a few human studies on paracetam as well, but basically they are very well known to be very neuroprotective so like they they protect the brain against they're pretty adaptogenic in a sense because they're protecting the the brain against um uh emotion like uh sorry uh obnoxious stress and like hypoxia and things like that so um 
one thing that's often debated is whether or not these compounds require um, a choline source or like a choline to stack it alongside. Um, and that's because the theory is that these compounds burn through your acetylcholine levels. And so it's very, it's requ- it's required that we replenish the um, acetylcholine production with the precursors such as CDP choline, choline bitartrate, alpha GPC. Um, but Or just eggs, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or you just smash like four eggs a day and you don't need a choline source. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think something that people need to be careful of um, is overdoing the choline. Because when you overdo the acetylcholine, like you can become pretty uh, like robotic and flat in a sense. Um, and it, that can that can really quickly happen when you're adding in like a acetyl, acetylcholine esterase inhibitor like huperzine A and things like that. So um comes back to trial and error. It's like basically some people are very choline dominant. Like my brother, my older brother, he's very, very acetylcholine dominant. So anytime I give him something that increases acetylcholine, he doesn't, he actually gets flat, but he's, his general like memory recall is phenomenal, like absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, it comes back to trial and error with the racetams. My fiance just got his Viome test results back and his choline levels, they recommend he stop eating almonds and eggs because they're so high. And yeah, I mean, he does have some robotic tendencies for sure. And he is sharp as wit. <laughs> I hope he's not listening to this, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely like, he's now like, okay, I was supplement, I was over supplementing because of his sort of, um, he kind of follows like a carnivore diet. So he eats like six eggs a day and he was taking a CDP choline. He was taking alpha GPC. And, you know, so it's like, oh my goodness, sometimes you have to really stop and take a look at your diet and understand, oh, am I getting too much of this or too little of that? Because if you start to just stack everything on top, that's when you start to run into problems. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I so, have a confession to make. Yeah. I've been taking actually the most potent nootropic known to man throughout this entire interview. Can you guess what it is? Oh, I think I might have one little uh, guess. Bulletproof it's coffee. It's coffee. And yes, it's bulletproof coffee. <laughs> nothing so in case you're like, nothing in microdosed like, in there, right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'll add my collagen and things like that. Of course, it's like, you should see me add my stuff in the morning. I'll add like a little bit of cinnamon because my biome test told me I needed some cinnamon in there. I think all of this stuff, the more we can arm ourselves with what's happening in our gut, how we're feeling in our mind, how we're interacting in the world and just kind of like play around and see what works. But this coffee clearly works for me. Yeah. I mean, caffeine is a nootropic after all, right? Like it's, you know, it's it's probably that. I, I believe you talked about this in your masterclass, like that and nicotine, which is so funny because those are like two of the most addictive chemicals, right? And it's like, but they also can really work in the right dosage and, you know, depending on your own level of, you know, um, addictive personality, so, so to speak. Um, and I would definitely suggest for people who are not, you know, a fan of caffeine, definitely check out Lucas's masterclass because you talk about a lot of things I had never heard of, like teacrine. And I was like, what is that? And it, and it was just fascinating because a lot of these things have similar chemical properties to caffeine without that kind of overstimulating rush. So definitely something to keep in mind too. So let's move on to men's stuff, um, shall we? And, uh, and you know, 
this is going to be a little bit more um, kind of like the hormonal side of things. And I would love for you to just kind of first walk us through what got you so excited about this. You talk about this prolifically on your channel and your podcast, Hacking Men's Health. What, why, why dive into this particular thing, you know, which is a little bit separate from nootropics? Yeah, well, just because I've seen so many guys suffering from low testosterone and it's such a, it really is an epidemic. Um, and there are so many factors that are contributing to it. Um, you know, poor diet, obesity, um, the wrong type of exercise. Personal care products. So for example, shaving cream, your shampoo, your conditioner, your body spray, your deodorants, paraben salicylate sulfates, artificial dyes, fragrances. Guys, you got to pay attention to this stuff because that's actually one of the biggest ex environmental exposures that the guys have is actually through their personal skincare products and hygiene stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and deploying strategies to to detoxify those chemicals is like it should be it should be number one priority to be honest like for example sauna usage um utilizing calcium deglucurate which helps with those xenoestrogens um but yeah i think testosterone really is like um it's bashed by the media and it's often like you know for men that they most men associate it with just feeling like very aggressive and very like alpha male and things like that. But honestly, like there is no way a guy can feel good with low testosterone. It's just not possible. Like how can they, it, not from like a sexual function, like as we know that testosterone influences libido, erection quality, things like that. But testosterone really is a primitive hormone for, um, channeling their energy and, and, and enabling men to lock onto something and focus on one task at hand. And that's where there's like a lot of crossover between um, testosterone and nootropics. And that's why I think, um, and that's why I built like a testosterone course is to help men optimize their hormones first. And then they can tap into like these, um, these nootropics because um, there is a lot of crossover and, and, um, you know, I've seen so many guys uh, feel so much better when they optimize their hormones. And it happened to myself. Like I I, I maxed out my own testosterone to, you know, it's basically off the scale as high as I could naturally. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely feel good uh, for doing so. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I know for guys that, you know, one of my best friends, he had low testosterone, was starting to lose his hair, and then he started taking it and, you know, got into bodybuilding. He was jacked. You know, I'd take him when I needed to go travel. He'd be my bodyguard. It was actually very helpful having him around. Just, like, clear the path, right? And, yeah, I think that testosterone for guys is something that they want to hear more about, but they don't always know where to look. And, Actually, I did a saliva test while I was taking a really tough exam. It was a medical college admission test, probably one of the most stressful times in my life. And I was like, oh, I'm curious what my hormones are doing. And actually, my testosterone was a little bit elevated. And I also maybe think that that might be why I have certain um, things that excite me or that I enjoy doing that are maybe a little bit more kind of like male dominated, like playing guitar, playing video games, stuff like that. It's it's really interesting how your hormonal level levels can impact 
you know, some of the activities that you might even be drawn to. But no, I don't have like weird hair growth or weird other symptoms. <laughs> I'm testosterone dominant too. Woo, high five, girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, like I, I've gotten my levels checked. I, I do it pretty frequently. And yeah, I mean, like it's it's a little bit above and it makes so much sense because of I kind of love I'm it. Also interested in and the confidence aspect, right? I think that when you're in this kind of profession where you're on camera, you're talking to people all the time, like it gives you a little bit of an edge. And, and so, you know, I'm fine with that, you know, and, and again, to Rachel's point, like there's no weird side effects, just it's more a mental thing for me. So who knows? I mean, is there ways that we can, both women and men can optimize their testosterone levels naturally? Oh yeah. Um, so the, the first one is, is, this is probably like really what put me on the map and like, um, I got interviewed on the radio a couple of times about this particular practice. Um, and it's around the fact that men should be icing their testicles to boost testosterone. Uh, <laughs> My husband actually will sometimes sleep with an ice pack when it's really hot out, like on that area on him. Well, he's already doing it. He's already doing it. He didn't really know why. He's just like, I'm kind of hot. It feels kind of good. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that. I'll get a kick out of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I know it's, it sounds pretty crazy, but, um, you know, you hear, uh, hear about all the benefits of like cold showers and things like that. Um, but when men like keep their, because the testicles are outside the body for a reason, they need, they need to be kept cool. Um, and so I created a whole Facebook group around this practice called Sub-Zero. Um, and we've got like 3,000 men in the group who have all started like icing their balls Um and all of them, literally every single guy has reported benefits from doing it. So that is free. Like it doesn't cost you any money. 10 minutes a day, like three times a day is like um, a very simple strategy that men can utilize to boost um, libido, testosterone, and just general um, wellness. Maybe let's just do a little PSA. Make sure you say, for example, have like a cloth between the ice pack and your skin so that you don't get an ice burn. That's important to know. <laughs> yeah, of course. And what else can you do like supplement wise? You know, I know you mentioned calcium deglucurate, which is actually something I have been taking for a while. So maybe that's one of the reasons. Um, are there any foods that we should be looking out for that can naturally boost testosterone as well? Yep. So um, a lot of the organ meats, you've probably heard a lot about like the carnivore diet. Um, a lot of those organ meats have so many of the right minerals and and vitamins to support um, testosterone production. Super high cholesterol foods such as eggs. I mean, they're, they're incredibly good for men. Um, and then avoiding the avoiding soy. I know it's debated quite a lot, but generally speaking, like guys need to avoid soy because it lowers dht too much and what's dht if you can just break that down for listeners uh dht is a metabolite of testosterone that's three to ten times stronger than testosterone itself so it's it's actually the it's like the godfather hormone um for men so it's really it plays a huge role in sexual function um it's often blamed for like affecting the prostate, which it's a long, long topic, um, and also hair loss as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the other foods, so like um, aiming for monounsaturated fats, so like almonds, macadamia nuts, um, avocados, coconut oil, these are 
most ideal for testosterone and then avoiding the polyunsaturated fatty acids. So like sunflower oil, safflower oil, canola oil, all of these are really problematic um, for testosterone. And they're in everything. If you are going out for a meal or you're getting takeout or whatever, literally all of your food is cooked in that crap. So I'm just going to throw this out there that doing different things for me, like playing my guitar, like hopping in my Jeep and going, you know, off-roading, things like that, having mechanical breakdown, got to fix stuff. I'm in like that male dominated space. So I have, like, I never really thought about it that way, but that's actually how I keep my testosterone levels up is doing kind of stuff like that. But I wonder if music could impact that as well like for example heavy metal right probably like rock music that's really interesting i've never yeah i've never sort of seen any association between the two but in terms of activities um there was i think a a study where they looked at like wood chopping like men that were chopping wood that is such a isn't that such such a like very masculine activity chopping wood um that in a that basically um had an effect on testosterone and and also uh, body language as well. Um, there's certain power poses that men can do. Like, for example, this one here. Mm, I never do that. <laughs> for anybody listening, <laughs> he actually has his elbows raised up to his Oh, ears. yeah, I like this one. I look terrible doing it. But Lucas, you actually pull that off pretty well. <laughs> and then there's another one as well, like hands on the hips, like just standing superman pose pose. yeah 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 that that they they have an impact and then if you see Mm -hmm. a guy that's like slumped over like like that and really like that is going to have an effect on his um hormones so Mm -hmm. you know body posture all everything everything plays a role i steal my husband's testosterone when we're working out and would be at the gym i would go kiss him and I would like, oh. <laughs> steal some of his testosterone in his saliva. I'm not even kidding you. And then we would kind of joke about it. He's like, I'm not giving you any more of my testosterone. No, this is for you. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. Oh, Back and to- martial arts. I bet you, like, because mm. I would do, like, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and stuff like that. Like, I'd be in a room full of dudes, right? So I'm probably, like, picking up some of their pheromones. You know. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was fun. That's funny. That's so funny. Um, coming back to the heavy metals thing, though, that you mentioned, and this is just kind of top of mind for me. because I meant heavy metals, like heavy metal music. No, no, that's what I know. That's what okay, I meant. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going with this. Um, I'm actually, it's top of mind for me because I am doing uh, a video uh, about like the uh, neurotransmitter effects that music can have on your brain. And it turns out that there are definitely some types of music, heavy metal would be included, that have this kind of surprise element. So it's like this level of like uncertainty versus surprise. And so when you're listening to that, that's actually going to um, affect this thing called the, your reward prediction error. So when you get a reward that is greater than what you actually predicted, it increases your dopamine receptors in the brain. So by the very nature of listening to something that's a little bit surprising, a little bit shocking, like heavy metal, can actually be giving you a flood of dopamine. Naturally. It's like when that guitar riff drops, right? Like mm-hmm. the intro guitar to Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Like you listen to that, you'll get fired up. Or another good song would be like Pantera Cemetery Gates or Metallica, Nothing Else Matters. Those are some pretty cool riffs that actually put me in a really good headspace. Same with like Stairway to Heaven. The very end of that song, when it get when it kicks in, it's it's euphoric and that's really you know you you can so basically you can get there 
by listening to music, by taking nootropics, by eating the right foods. It's like this kind of whole like holistic kind of take on how can you max what you, you know feelings you want in the moment, just giving the tools that you have at your disposal. Um, but sorry, we totally di digressed away from, from the topic at hand. So I'm going to bring us back because I know we're almost out of time here. But Lucas, one of the things that I have really, you know, um, admired about what you've done in your space is that you've actually given people a uh, lot of resources in which to figure out where to find these supplements. And for me, when I was first starting off and I didn't know how to look for a trusted vendor, I was so confused and buying a ton of crap on Amazon. Now I know better, but like walk us through what you should be looking for with a trusted vendor and how do you know that you're not just gonna get stuff that is not what you actually paid for? Like counterfeit stuff from third-party auction websites. Mm -hmm. Do not do that, stop doing that, y'all. Yeah, well, the first the first thing is to ensure the um, the manufacturer or the vendor has like a, a third party analysis completed on each batch that they make. So like um, a certificate of analysis that verifies the that what it is is actually what it is. Like and that it doesn't have any um, mold or contamination things like that. That's really important. Um, and the other point to that is also like. On top of that is is just um, being a part of these communities where people are trialing these compounds and then like on Reddit and things like that is actually like opening up threads and reviewing um, what people say about these compounds because yeah there are a lot of them that can be faked um, and I've you know I've had my fair share of things that are not what they were um, and you know there's that's when you run into issues long term um, side effects and things like that so. Um, my mission is like all of the vendors on, on my site, um, all of them I've either used or like researched very heavily and ensure that they do pass like strict quality control checks as well. Also, not only where the product's manufactured, but where the constituents and ingredients are coming from, because I see this in skincare and, you know, beauty supplements. There was one gummy bear that was manufactured in the USA, but then Labdor did a third-party test on it. And two of those gummies, which was kind of like the recommended amount for the day, actually exceeded the daily limit for lead. And so I would postulate that maybe some of their ingredients, they were sourcing from places like China, which is kind of notorious for that. So just to actually look where they get their ingredients from. Yeah, exactly. And then Lucas, how do you know if you are a consumer and you get something that is fraud or, you know, that's, that isn't working effectively? I mean, you obviously have kind of the, the re resources and tools to be able to test these products yourself. But what if I'm just, you know, an everyday consumer, I try something, oh, it didn't work for me. So I guess that whole compound doesn't work. What are some ways that people can actually understand um, when they get the products at home? Like, oh, this is actually not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, I guess if as soon as they try the compound and if it if it um, possesses an effect that is completely different to what it's um, purported to 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 do, then I would be questioning the you know reliability and validity of the actual product itself. Um, and yeah, a great example of that is if something is way too um, energizing or way too stimulating or something, then I would question 
you know, is this really CDP choline, for example? Because um, CDP choline is not renowned to make you feel this good. Um, but having said that, there's still people that have paradoxical reactions to certain supplements. Um, some things that should be sedating in some people are actually stimulating. For example, taurine. Um, if I take 3,000 mill, if I take a high dose of taurine, you'd think that it would cause sedation because it's working on GABA and cortisol, things like that. But it actually gives me energy. Like it doesn't actually make me sleepy at all. Um, so yeah, there's such a huge um, individual variance in, in how people respond. And honestly, that's where I think I want to help people build that self-awareness and understand how they can tap into these compounds and utilize them to um, to suit their needs. Because again, we're all so different um, and there's no one size fits all. That's why I'm not that's why I'm not really a huge fan on these pre-made stacks. I'm, I'm more so encouraging of people to build their own, like make their own um, and find what, what works best for them. That is fantastic advice, Lucas. And so some really great takeaways, you know, know what you're getting, know the manufacturer, look at the research they've been doing, talk to other people in the community. I certainly have gone onto Reddit, on Facebook groups, you know, and just be able to get some anecdotal data that you can then take away and and you know hopefully make a better smarter decision as a consumer i think that's wonderful um just to wrap up where can people find you i know you have so much information out there right now um scattered all over the web so tell us like the top places people can find you yeah uh, well people should definitely check out my youtube channel um if they just search boost your biology i'm going to be uploading a lot more videos there and then my Instagram as well, that's um, ergogenic underscore health and my website as well, ergogenic.health. They're like the main, they're probably like my top three platforms where I share like really, really useful information. So definitely check them out. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Lucas. Do you have any final words? Um, not really. I just think that, uh, I want to yeah encourage people to, um, not be afraid of this term biohacking and, and, um, just, yeah, I want them to realize that they can manipulate the way that they think, feel and perform like on a day-to-day basis. Like that is within your control. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks for having me. Guys. It's been, it's been, it's been awesome. I knew it was going to be another fun episode. Thanks Rachel and Katie for having me. Yeah, for sure. And everybody tuning in, go ahead and make sure that you subscribe to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast channel on YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button and check out some more information that we have over at beautyandthebiohacker.com. And you can actually see all of our past interviews and information and updates and some of the things that are kind of pre-vetted by us to continue to help support you in your journey of looking awesome and feeling like a healthy rock star here with Katie and I at Beauty and the Biohacker.